0: Let's pray, shall we? Then we'll get the Scriptures. Father, you command us to love you, the Lord our God, with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our strength. We pray that we may learn to do that. We pray that grace and truth and the life-giving Spirit of God will lead us into fulfilling your commandment. Help us too as we move on a little today to consider the broader picture of your word and what it means to us. Give us inspiration, Holy Spirit. You who gave Scripture. Open it to us now. Amen. I've gone back to paper. Embarrassing myself, losing my way in, with my iPad. We've looked at loving the Lord and keeping his commandments, because that's what he says, and that's what Jesus also said. We're not under the law of Israel or the Moses regulations and so on, but we are to keep his commandments. There's a core to the law of God, which is what we call the moral law. And The moral law of God, things that are good and evil, things that are right and wrong in the way we conduct ourselves towards him, towards one another, the way we handle sexuality and so on, those core issues are repeated in the New Testament Scriptures. They're not revoked, they're not not turned over, they are reaffirmed. In fact, nine of the Ten Commandments are referred to or repeated in the New Testament. You're asking, what's the exception then, David? The one that isn't repeated is the Sabbath. It's the only one of the Ten Commandments which isn't repeated in the New Testament. All of God's moral law is summed up for us Christians in three laws of love. The second one being the one that Jesus added. Loving the Lord our God with all our being. Loving one another as believers, as he has loved us. And loving our neighbor, which implies they are unbelieving people around us, as we love ourselves. Different measures of love. We love our brothers and sisters at a measure which is beyond loving our neighbors. But we should love our neighbors as much as we love ourselves. When we follow the Holy Spirit... When we follow this life of love, we fulfill the Lord's commandments. Now, in the same context that the Lord Jesus tells us that if we love him, we will keep his commandments, he also says this. Jesus answered Judas, not the Iscariot Judas, and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. Of course, it is his, it is the Father's as well. But Jesus is saying, the authority for what I'm saying comes from the Father. The Lord Jesus there tells us not just to keep certain instructions, certain list of things to do or not to do, but to keep all of his word. And all of God's word is Christ's word. For God is Christ and Christ is God. All of his word. To keep his word, we obviously need to read it, to know it, to understand it, and then to obey it. So I'm going to sum that up in one phrase. Loving God and God's word. Loving to read or to hear it. Loving to receive and welcome it. Loving to do it. Here again. I read this to you last week. Let me read it to you again. So I haven't put every scripture up there. I'm going to read them just to you. Psalm 19, starting at verse 7. I know this because I learned it as a song, back in the 1970s. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord, we'll talk about the fear of the Lord in a few weeks' time, is clean, enduring forever. Let me just stop there and say, because the Lord says do not fear and then he tells them to fear him. So there must be two kinds of fear going on, yeah? The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. The words of God are more to be desired than gold. Yes, they're much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them... Your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Of course, Psalm 119 is a much longer version of those sort of thoughts. Let me give you just one phrase from Psalm 119 Your word is very pure, therefore, your servant loves it. Now, when the Psalms were written, the word of God, the scriptures that they had then, was really very limited. They had the Torah, the book of Moses, and the book of Joshua, and that was probably about it. The rest was being written. You know, The time of David and the later kings, they were starting to write chronicles and kings and, 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 and write down what the prophets said and, and so on. So we got the scriptures. But, so all David and others had when they said, oh, how I love your law, how I love your commandments, they only had the first probably six books of the Bible, which is not a lot really. And yet they found treasure there. More than gold. Riches riches more than gold. Food sweeter than honey. We have a lot more to enrich us and to feed us than they did. I'm I'm not sure we value it the way they did. They loved what they had receiving it from God. Last week I headlined this. God is good and his law is good. It's pure, it's holy is you can't keep it when you're unholy. We need to be changed to keep it. This Sunday, I've got a new one for you. God is good and His Word is good. His Word is good. His Word is pure. God's Word, all of it. The phrase God's Word kind of carries three meanings in Scripture. The interesting thing, one theologian I've been reading recently says there's lots, lots of trinities in the Bible the three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And there's some other, times, other things come up in threes too. Um, it's one of God's ways of doing things. Well, God's Word is, you know, the Word of the Lord is the Scriptures. Yeah? Then also, the Word of the Lord is His message, which is the Gospel. In the Old Testament, the word of the Lord came to Isaiah and he declared it because God told him to say these things. That was the word of the Lord. It's his message. But his main message to us, his now word to us now, is not some prophetic utterance. It's the gospel. It's Jesus. I'm not despising all prophesying. Of course I'm not. But don't think that something can come along that is more important than the gospel. That replaces the the centrality and primacy of Jesus. And then finally, God's Word is Jesus himself. That's how John begins his Gospel, remember? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's talking about Jesus before creation, the pre-existent Son of God, co-eternal with the Father. The Word was with God and was God. God's Word is Jesus. God's Word is the Scriptures. God's Word is the Gospel or some other message that God sends prophetically at a particular time. The Scriptures contain God's self-revelation. He's showing himself to us. His message and instructions to men. The truth of his word, the Scriptures, must be proclaimed, explained, and applied to every generation, both by teaching and instruction, by example, and by prophetic declaration. I've just added the word example. I should have written it in. Yet the greatest self-revelation of God is... Is not in Scripture, but in Jesus Himself. To, about whom the Scriptures, to whom the Scriptures point. The Scriptures are about Him. We'll come back to that in a minute or two. Jesus is the central focus and central message of the Bible. Let's think about how God's Word works for us a bit. God's Word is our food. It's food, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. God's Word is our food. Deuteronomy. Moses speaking to the Israelites. So he humbled you. He allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know nor did your fathers know. This was this thing that settled on the ground early in the morning. They had to go out and gather it. Manna. And uh, in fact it's called the bread of heaven. that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Man shall not live by every bread alone. Jesus picks it up. He's answering Satan in the temptations. Satan says, why don't you turn these stones into bread? You're hungry, aren't you? Why don't you turn these stones into bread? For it's written. And Jesus answered him, for it is written, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, you may come from a culture where bread's not your main food, so you might need to put rice there or noodles or potatoes or chocolate. It's the thing you eat every day. Man shall not live by the food he eats every day. He needs to live every day on what he receives from God. From God's word, we need God's word as much as we need daily nutrition. We have it from the mouth of Jesus repeating gingerly. Now we can limit our food if we need to lose some weight and we say, oh, I'll get back I'll get by on just a few less calories and I'll, I'll limit myself and I won't have the potatoes or maybe not even the chocolate. But we cannot survive in faith, in life as a Christian, without God's Word. We are on a steep downward curve when we begin to neglect the Scriptures. I speak from experience. In the pattern prayer, Jesus taught us, give us this daily bread. But our daily bread is not just the food that we eat, it's what we read, hear, and receive from God in His Word. The daily bread that Israel ate in the wilderness was manna, bread from heaven. And it wasn't different every day. It was the same manna. But it was fresh every day. day. Right? didn't come as Heinz 57 varieties. It wasn't like different flavors of breakfast cereal. Every morning they had a different flavor of breakfast cereal. The manna came and they had to cook it and prepare it and do something with it and they had to eat it. And we need to come to God's Word, ready to take and eat. To receive nourishment, to receive strength, to receive food, to receive life. Jesus says in John 6 that he himself is the bread of life, the bread of heaven. Scripture leads us to Jesus, who is the real final bread of life and bread of of heaven. He says so in John six. I'm just going to read some verses to you from John six, picking them out. Okay, not going to put them all up there. John six, thirty-one, start there. Our fathers ate the manna in the desert, as is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat, say the Jews. And then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Further down. The Jews then complained about him because he said, I'm the bread which came down from heaven. Jesus therefore answered them and said to them, do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone, this is not some scholars, some prophets, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that everyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. It was of only temporary value to them, in other words. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die, live forever. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give him is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Now Jesus is beginning to talk about the cross there. And finally, verse 58, this is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead, he who eats this bread will live forever. The bread of God, the bread of heaven is Jesus. Where do you find him and know him? In the Scriptures. We see the face of God and the face of Jesus Christ through the revelation of God in the Scriptures. If we do not get to know God and Je- God through Jesus and Jesus through the Scriptures, we start to make a Jesus of our own imagination. We probably make him in our image. The theologian John Calvin says the human heart is the factory of many idols. He used the word manufactory. It's where we make many idols. And left without the Scripture, we'll invent some image of God and some picture of who he is and we'll invent a Jesus that we like you know, rather than the one that is what he is. And we'll be very content to think that we are worshipping Jesus. But we made him up. He's an image of our making. We need the scriptures to form our image, our imagination, our picture of Jesus. And just when you think you've got to know him, you'll read something in the gospel, you think, oh my goodness, look at that. Wow, he lost his temper with those people. Yes, he did. He expressed anger and frustration at times. Hmm, is your Jesus too nice to do that? Then your image of Jesus needs to be adapted. I need Jesus every day. Just like I need bread, nourishment. Therefore, I need his word every day. A good old Welsh hymn, Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. Has this phrase, isn't it? Bread of heaven, feed me now and evermore. At the Principality Stadium in Cardiff, they sing cum ronda that tune, Bread of Heaven, in Welsh before every international Welsh rugby match. I wish they all believed it. Bread of heaven, feed me now and evermore. God's word is our food. And because Jesus is essentially our food, we need to feed on him. We need to welcome him, receive him again into our lives, into our beings. Day after day after day after day. Manna, 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 manna. Bread from heaven, bread from heaven, bread from heaven. They had to collect it every day, folks. And yet it was the same thing. His mercies are new every morning, but they're the same mercies that were born at Calvary. There isn't actually something really drastically new, but it's new and fresh for the day. We don't need a new revelation from heaven. I'll come back to that in a while. We have it. It's Jesus. We have the best. We don't need anything beyond him. God's word, to move on, is authoritative. It comes from God, and therefore it's God's word, therefore it's God's word, isn't it? I mean, it has authority. One scripture in Psalms says he's exalted his name, his word above his name. Some people kind of argue with how that verse reads in most Bibles, but you know, he's given us his, his word because it's through his word he's, we learn about him. That's his purpose, why he gave it to us, so we learn about him through his word. Therefore, it's logical to say he's exalted his word above his name because it's through his word. We learn his name. We learn who he is and what he is. Anyway, let's come to 2 Timothy 3.16. It's one of those 3.16s in the Bible that just by some accident of how the Bible got numbered, uh, often good scriptures. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. God breathed it into being through the Holy Spirit and is profitable for doctrine. That's teaching. Teaching for life, not just teaching for information, teaching that shapes your life. For reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, how to do what's right. That the man of God, don't be put off by that, he's not just saying to Timothy, you, that you're that you the man of God. It means, you know, every person of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Scripture is the word that has proceeded from the mouth of God. We're to live by the word that has proceeded from the mouth of God. Not just something new today, something that's already been said still as well. He's breathed into beings through the Holy Spirit. Scripture is given to us to teach us, to instruct us, to reprove and correct us. And reprove is tell you you got it wrong, and correct you is tell you how to get it right. Yes? Parents, I hope you do both. No but this. Yes? Reprove, instruct. Correct what's wrong, show them what's right. Even-handed. It's to instruct us in righteousness, to live right, to do right, to complete or mature us, to equip us for every good work. But that's not all could be said. I mean, that's not an exhaustive list. I mean, there's more we could say about Scripture. Scripture is relevant and applicable to us today. It's not archaic. It's not a relic of the past. It is the living truth of God. It has authority over us today, now. See, some people want to say, well, the Bible's old-fashioned. Okay, well, Christianity's old-fashioned. Stop being a Christian. Go and do something else. But don't tell me that you can be a Christian and ignore God's Word. I reject your your thesis. Sorry. But I do. God's Word is authoritative. It's to shape the way we think, the way we live. In fact, God's Word is to shape our worldview, how we think about everything. Absolutely everything. Creation, man, woman, sexuality, parenthood, earning a living, using our money, absolutely every bit of life is to be shaped by what we understand from God's authoritative word. Brings me to the next point. God's word is definitive. That is, it is all we need to hear and to have and it tests everything else. It is a complete revelation. We don't need... To add or take away from it, I'm getting ahead of myself, but never mind. It tests everything else. Okay, headlines, but here's the scripture. Headline is God works in agreement with his word. What God does is always according to what he's already said. If God does something which is so strange that it's contrary to what he said, I doubt that God did that. Now, God can do some amazing, extraordinary things, amazing miracles. I've seen a couple. I've heard of others. You think, wow, wow, what? But is, was God good to that person? Did he, do them, uh, did he do them well? Were they blessed and encouraged? Were they healed in their bodies? Then hallelujah. It's beyond what I can imagine and maybe the way he did it is beyond my imagination. There was a phase when God used to put gold teeth in people's jaws. Why? But he did. You know, did he harm them? No. Did it point to him being glorious? I guess so. But it wasn't, what I'm saying is it wasn't contrary to his word. But if something happens which is contrary to his word, I have reason to doubt it. And personally, I will have nothing to do with it. I'll choose to reject it. Because I know it's contrary to something in Scripture. Here it is. For the word of the Lord is right and all his work is done in truth. I know it's only one scripture. I could, I could give you two or three on most of these, okay? I'm not, for sake of time. I'm just giving you the one. I can I ask me the others if you want some? All his work is done in truth. What God does agrees with what he said already. And what, whatever he said in his name now, prophetically, needs to agree with what he said already. By the way, I know good prophets who don't go to prophetic conferences because some of them are just too wacky. They think they have a right to say anything and God said it. That's my next point. Any prophetic word must agree with God's word. It can't contradict Scripture. Any prophetic word must agree with God's word. Here's Isaiah, talking about false prophets. Isaiah 8. To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, according to Scripture, it is because there is no light in them. That's a pretty hard hammer, isn't it? If they don't speak according to Scripture, if they're trying to reshape Scripture or deny Scripture, what does the Scripture say? There is no light in them. You wouldn't choose to go in a dark room and listen to dark voices, would you? So why go somewhere where they're rubbishing scripture and saying they've got a great revelation? By the way, I've given a few comments at the end of my notes about a thing that's been very common amongst Charismatics and Pentecostals to say there's a difference between the Logos word and the Rima word. Those are Greek words, Okay. You know, the logos is what's written, it's what's set, it's there, but the rima word is what God is saying now. We need the now word of God. Well, any Greek scholar worth his salt, and I'm talking about people who translate the Bible from Greek again today into English, and yet they do that, and the English versions are really very, very, very similar, and there's hardly any difference, but they would tell you that in. Greek, rhema and logos are pretty much synonymous. They're just interchangeable. And if you take the theory that, that logos means written word and rhema means uh, um, the spoken word or the living word, well, how about this? In one, in John chapter one, Jesus is the logos, not the rhema. <laughs> yeah, Jesus, Jesus is the written word. Yes. That's what it says. If you want to, if you choose to argue <laughs> that thesis then Jesus is the written word, not the rema word. So here you go. I can give you plenty more. There's a link in the notes to look up a very good theologian who will tell you that that is a nonsense, that kind of separation of those two. There is no such thing as a rhema now word that is different from the logos word of God. No such thing. I have it on good authority. I'm not going to give you all the authority this morning. Finally, just to say finally here, there's a few more yet. Scripture tells us we are in a dangerous place if we add to or take away from the Scriptures. Final verses of Revelation contain this warning too, and I don't believe it's just about the book of Revelation. I testify to everyone, here's the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. Where did John get that idea? How about Proverbs? Proverbs 30. Every word of God is pure He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Do not add to his words, lest he, God, rebuke you, and you be found a liar. Do not add to his words. Do not detract, subtract from his words. Every word of God is pure. Every word of God is life-giving. Every word of God is food for us. Every word of God is inspired, God-breathed, and is profitable to us. The words that some people say and claim come from the Lord are not necessarily profitable to us. They may lead us uh, 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 to dance away with the fairies, let's say. I, I mean the ones that sit around in gardens. Not. Please don't misquote me there. God's word is truth. The whole thing. It's truth. Capital T. Jesus prayed in his great high priestly prayer in John seventeen, and I, I do love the book of John, I know that book I progressed a lot. Praise the Father for his people. You and I. You and I sitting here today. I'm the only one standing. Oh, well, I went as well. <laughs> Jesus prays for you. Father, sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. What did Jesus mean by your word? He meant the scriptures. Of course he meant the scriptures. Sanctify them by the scriptures. Now you can't do this, I'm sanctified, hallelujah. i got the Bible sitting on my head, I'm holy. You've got to be learning it, reading it, applying it, obeying it, and you are being changed by that process to become more like Jesus. You are sanctified by the truth and his word is truth and we said earlier god's word is well truth is the scripture truth is the gospel and truth is primarily centrally above all else the lord jesus jesus is the truth he said it he said it of himself i am the way the truth the Life. There's no truth. We sang it as a chorus when I was a kid in Sunday school. Without the way there is no knowing, Without the truth, there is no... Sorry. Without the way there is no going, without the truth, there is no knowing, without the life, there is no living. I am the way, the truth, and life. That's what Jesus said. There was a chorus I sang when I was a kid. There's no way without the way. There's no truth without the truth and there's no life without the life. Remember, remember, Remember when Jesus was risen from the dead and there were a couple, we think it was a man and woman actually, who were walking from Jerusalem back down to Jericho and, and Jesus joins with them on, on the way. And they, he, he's kept from being recognized by them. That, you know, God keeps them from recognizing him for, for hours as they walk. And they arrive somewhere for a meal and, and then it says along the way, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, that's, this is a big Bible study, folks, as they're walking along this dusty, you know, uh, uh, Palestinian road. Jesus expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Christ in all the scriptures. Jesus speaking to the Jews in Jerusalem, particularly the Jerusalem scribes and Pharisees, he said this, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. They're very good Bible scholars. I mean, they love to, you know, study and debate and all These, the scriptures, are what testify of me. But you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. The, the scriptures are supposed to lead you not into a corner to have a little fierce debate, but they're supposed to lead you to me, and when you come to me, you'll be given life. Is your handling of the Bible life-giving, life-shaping? Do you find Jesus there? See, I know, I know, I know I'm a scholar, I know I like to study, but when I'm reading the Old Testament, like we've been reading the Exodus recently, Jesus, 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 the Ark of the Covenant, yeah, Jesus, the Ark of you know, the altar, yes, Jesus, the cross. Even the very fabric of the tabernacle speaks of the life of Jesus. If you really want me to, I'll preach it sometime. It's all about him. It's all about him. If we love Jesus, we will love the words that speak of Jesus, that present him to us from Genesis to Revelation. Look at this scripture in 2 Timothy. It talks about those who perish. Those who perish because they do no, did not receive the love of the truth. I've put a capital T on that one. Because it's, it's all three again. It's, it's, it's Jesus himself, It's the gospel, it's the scriptures. They are all one way or another way of saying the truth. And those who do not love the truth will not be saved. Jesus and the gospel that speaks of Jesus and the scriptures that teach of Jesus and lead us to Jesus. If you love the truth, you're heading for eternal life. But without the love of the truth, Mm. so my challenge today is love God's word read your Bible we come to the Bible to read but also to see and hear and there is sometimes somewhere along the line something fresh that comes out of the scriptures to us you, at that moment you may be you know maybe lifted up with pride and think I've got something no one else has ever seen oh really you want to bet Listen. When I get excited about something in Scripture, I've learned. I've learned now. I go back to the old guys. I go back to the old Puritans and to John John Calvin, even. And I say, what did they see? (laughs) Yeah, they saw the same thing. (laughs) It's fresh to me, but it's not really fresh. It's not that new. Godly people before me have read that and discovered that and and bathed in that and loved it and fed on it. Yeah. It's just it's good for me to read the Scriptures and then go back and check them. And then I then I've had the joy of seeing it but I'm, I'm not stupid enough to think I'm the only person who's ever seen it. We read words again that are already familiar to us, but we see a shaft of light we haven't seen before. We understand something that we did not before. One old hymn, I'm not sure if it's provenance, it's where it came from, but it's, it, one chorus in it has, the Lord hath yet more light and truth to break forth from his word. You know, that happens to me every week, perhaps more than once or twice, it depends upon how often and how diligently I read and considers God's word. How, how open am I to see, to feed, to get life. Sometimes it's just like a, you read something and your heart goes, BAM! You just got a zap of life into you. It's like an injection of adrenaline. I don't know if you've ever had one, but they gave me one when I was bashed up after a car accident. They gave me a jab of antitetanous and adrenaline, and I, I felt like I was exploding out of my chest. Boom! You know, it's like... (laughs) There's something like that when the life of God hits you through the Word of God, through the truth of God. I want to make you hungry to experience truth because it's there to feed you, to nourish you, to challenge you, to be life-giving, to energize you, to inspire you, to equip you. So you get up from your Bible reading time and that's why it's probably I'm not saying you have to do it in the morning if you're, if you're a night owl, do it in the evening but you know, if you do it in the morning, here's the benefit you get up and suddenly your, your day just changed shape because you've got some manner in you you've got some life in you you've got some energy because the Holy Spirit has helped you to digest some truth okay, here's my winding down or winding up there's a video we showed all ages ago Uh, the Bible is and it sounds like Morgan Freeman but I know it isn't but it sounds like Morgan Freeman the Bible is the revelation that by the way is from the first pages of a Gideon's Bible when you go to a hotel there's a Gideon's Bible that's an introduction to the whole Bible and it's just put into a video but it's actually the. it's in the back pages of the notes so if you haven't got notes you want to get them Okay. I wrote this though, kind of based on what I've heard other places. But here you go. For this, I will hold my Bible. I've got exactly, I've got the same one of these at home, red black. Here is light for our darkness. Here is wisdom for our foolishness. Here is humbling for the proud, but lifting up for the humble. Here is mercy and grace to help us. Here is food to sustain us. Here is freedom to release us. Here is strength and confidence. Here is a map for life. Here is a sword for our fight. Here is healing for our hurts. Here are promises to fuel our prayers, our obedience, and our perseverance. Here is the word of Christ, not just the Gospels, and not just the words in red in the Gospels, though I like red-letter Bibles. This is all about him. His eternal being, co-eternal and almighty with the Father and with the Holy Spirit before creation. He's appearing in history, before he was born a virgin. He's appearing in history to men, again and again, as the messenger of the Lord. Most Bibles have angel, which confuses us. It simply means messenger, the one who came from heaven at that moment to deal with man. It was Jesus. More often than not. His conception and birth by the Virgin Mary, his life as a man and Messiah, his death as lamb and sacrifice, his resurrection as victor, his enthronement as king of all, his future return as judge and renewer of all things. We read the Bible to know Jesus God revealed to us and to feed on the bread of heaven. That's the last bit of those... uh, Gideon notes at the beginning of their Bibles. Read the... I went to Morgan Freeman's voice. Read the Bible to be wise. Believe it to be safe. Practice it to be holy. As I say, the notes have got that Gideon's thing and also a link to an article about Remer and Logos just so you can really, really, really get to grips with that one. When someone says, you say, actually, there's no difference. There's no difference. We live by every word that has proceeded from the mouth of God. And in a sense, it proceeds again to us because the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit livens Scripture to us. He catches our attention. He gives us food, that food, right then to eat from Scripture. But it's always been there. He's just offered it to you in a moment of faith that you see it as being applicable to you right now. My brother and my sister, take it. Eat it it will give you life. Look for life-giving moments when you read the Scriptures, but don't neglect reading all the Scriptures, for the whole of Scripture will form the way you view life and the world, the way you walk live in this life, the way you conduct yourself towards God and towards others. All of these things will be shaped and corrected, trained, By God's word, if we will give ourselves to it. And he who or she who loves God will love his word. Amen. Let's pray. (coughs) Oh, Father. is truth it has authority it defines life and everything for us more than anything else your word is Christ and therefore the scriptures are about Christ Jesus Lord Jesus you taught us that we need you like we need our daily meals And we need scripture too to feed us you, to show us you, to teach us about you and to teach us what pleases you and and teaches us how we can be equipped to live this life of faith in the grace of God. So Lord, we want to open our hearts to you and to your word. We come to be fed we come to be encouraged. We come to be built up. We come to be equipped. We come to be trained. We come to receive directions. We come to receive orders to be obeyed. We come, Lord, to receive courage to to do the right thing. We come for our hurts to be healed. We come to be reminded again that we are forgiven and we need to forgive. We thank you for the feast that is laid before us. For us as believers, you do lay a table for us in the midst of our enemies and it's your word. It's Jesus and the scriptures, a mix of all of those three. You give us food to eat that they can't take from us even if our enemies are pursuing us. They can't keep us from feasting at your table. Thank you, Lord. I just want to mention before we get on and break bread together today. I mentioned scripture. It's a tough scripture. The people who perish because they don't love the truth. I want to make sure this morning that you're on the right track. I want to encourage you to turn to Jesus. He said to those Jewish people, you, you, reached, you read in the Bible and you think you're finding life there, but you won't come to me. They talk about me and you won't come to me that you might have life. Please, hear these words this morning. Turn to Jesus and find life in him. Ask life from him and receive a new life from him. Part of that new life in Jesus, following him, will be that you learn to love to read, to receive, to obey his word. It's where you'll find him whenever you go there. And there'll be moments when you really do feel his presence, his equipping, his grace, his love, all sorts of things from him and about him, simply because you're reading his word. May the Lord help you to do that today, to turn to Jesus Christ and ask him <coughs> to give you life and to feed you life, day after day after day. He is the bread of heaven. He's the true manner. Every day, fresh again. Same Jesus, same truth, same gospel, but it's fresh every day to give you life. Amen.